So there is no shortage of people who want to tell you what to do with your money, right? I mean, there, there are people everywhere who are willing to step in and give you advice when it comes to money or finances. YouTube is filled with financial experts who will tell you to buy stock, will tell you to sell all your stock, will tell you to invest in precious metals, will tell you to take out loans, will tell you to get out of debt, will tell you to make money online, uh, and even they'll show you how to search for buried treasure. You can find it all, and they'll tell you all this at the same time. So there's some amazing advice out there, there's some crazy advice out there, and then right before that YouTube video plays, you know, there are ads trying to convince you to spend your money, they're trying to convince you to donate your money or to join their team to make more money. So all of this takes place just in a few minutes. Uh, and then, you know, there are New York Times bestsellers on how to make money quickly. Uh, there are Facebook groups coaching you on what to do when you want to retire early. And then there's your nosy neighbor across the street who wants to know how you can afford that new truck with the job that you have. There's all sorts of advice and people who are uh, inquiring about money and what you should do with it. And that's the world in which we live. There are messages everywhere. And unfortunately, tons of those messages conflict. There's different advice uh, for different periods of time, for different people. There really is no clear path forward with all of those voices speaking into our circumstances and our situation. But like we talked about last week, God has a path for us to walk on in every area of our lives. He's got that place that he wants us to be walking in. And the Bible shows us what that path looks like. I originally wrote, he, even in the area of money, he has a path that he wants us to walk. But I think it might be better said, especially in the area of our money, uh, when it comes to what we do with our finances. And in this series, we're working through the book of Proverbs, which was written for one reason. Proverbs was written for you and for me to obtain wisdom. That's why Proverbs exists, so that you and me can obtain wisdom. And in this book of wisdom, there are three types of people, and we've talked about this, but I want to just, for those who might have missed, there are three types of people that Solomon is speaking to. He's speaking to the wise, he's speaking to the foolish, and he's speaking to the simple. And when Proverbs refers to the wise, um, it's talking about people who know the right things to do and then actually do them. That is what the Bible is talking about when it refers to wisdom. It's connecting the mind and the heart and the body and actually taking those thoughts and that knowledge and then having it translate into action. Uh, they've made the connection between knowing and doing. On the other side of that coin are the fools. And foolish people are those, according to the word of God, are people who have the knowledge, they know what the right thing is to do, but they can't, won't, or aren't doing it. They're not, there's a disconnect there uh, between the brain and actually carrying things out. And then, then we have the simple. And simple-minded people, according to Proverbs, uh, are those who don't do a whole lot of thinking about the direction of their lives. They don't think a lot about their decisions. They just kind of make them. And they haven't discovered the knowledge to either accept or to reject uh, that knowledge and whether to decide or not to decide not to do it. And you may be sitting there wondering this morning, hmm, which, which one am I? Where, where do I fall in this? 
Am I a wise person? Am I a fool? Am I simple-minded? And the truth is we are all three. There are areas of our lives where we are practicing wisdom. We know what to do and we're doing it. There are areas of our lives where we're living foolishly, where we really do know what the right thing is to do, but we're not doing it for whatever reason. Sometimes it's, it's an, a willful act of rebellion. Sometimes it's, it's, it's forgetfulness. Sometimes it's any number of reasons, but we're not doing it. We're not putting into practice what we know is the right thing to do. And then there's some areas where we're, we're simple. We just don't know any better. We haven't invested the time yet to discover what that right choice should be, what the best path forward is in that area of our lives. And as we learn from the book of Proverbs, I want to remind all of us this morning uh, that the writer of most of Proverbs is Solomon. And Solomon is the wisest and the wealthiest man who ever lived. If his wealth were translated into a modern day context, he would be a trillionaire. That's a one with 12 zeros after it. That's a whole lot of money and probably somebody that you would like to be getting financial advice from. And today, as we continue to gain some knowledge from Solomon, remember, we cannot give you wisdom. We can only give you knowledge and what you do with it is what will determine if you fall into the camp of the wise or the foolish. And as we continue to gain knowledge, I want to walk us through this morning four habits that Solomon teaches us to practice financially. And my goal is to equip you uh, so that as we walk through these, be evaluating yourself. Am I wise in this area? Am I doing this? Am I a fool? Did I really know this, but I'm not doing it? Or have I been simple-minded and now I have a decision to make, will I fall into the camp of the wise or the foolish? So how am I doing? Which audience of Proverbs do I fall into in each one of these areas this morning as we work through this? So here we go. Four wise financial habits from the wisest and wealthiest man to ever live. And the word habit is really critical here. It's really important to think about it as a habit because these are not steps. They're not one-time actions. A step is a one-time action that you take. These are lifetime decisions that we make. They're not tips because learning is not enough. Wisdom isn't just about what you know. Wisdom is about what you show. It's about what you do. And we have to bridge that gap between knowing and doing and put them into practice. So these habits from God's word have the potential to lead you into financial freedom. That's the power of God's word when it's lived out, but we have to take action ourselves. And remember this, we've said this a couple times already in this series, but it's really important to remember because some people have this mistaken idea that the Bible tells us that money is bad, that money is this evil thing. They've learned that money is the root of all evil, and that's not what the Bible teaches. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money itself. The Bible tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's your heart attitude towards money. It's what you do with it. It's what path you are walking as you manage it. It's whether you're controlling your wealth or your wealth is controlling you that makes it good or evil. Money is neither. It's neutral. It's Switzerland. That's what money is. You know, I've always thought it would be really fun to visit Switzerland, you know, see all the mountains and stuff. I'm not really sure why Switzerland appeals to me so much, but I know the flag is a big plus. Some of you will get that later. But money is not the problem. Money reveals the problems. 
Money is not the problem. Money reveals the problems. You can have a lot of money and be righteous. You can have a lot of money and be wicked. You cannot have any money and be righteous. You cannot have any money and be wicked. So money is not the issue. The issue is righteousness and wickedness. That's really what we're talking about here. And what we want to do is manage our money in the context of what God teaches and not what the world says. Now, certainly there are people out there in the world who are giving wisdom that lines up with biblical instruction. And so that's great. But what we want to do is use the word of God as our source. We want the word of God to be the framework within which we manage what God has entrusted to us. And here's why. So we can walk with God in every area of our lives, including our finances, and trust him and in that truly enjoy the blessings that he gives us. Because here's what I want you to know. God wants you to enjoy your life. He does. Because God loves you and he wants the best for you. God loves you far more than you could ever imagine. Listen to this verse in Psalm uh, 36. It's verse 7. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. And the psalmist here equates experiencing God's love to finding shelter under his wings. And, and that image of, of coming underneath the wings is that of, of protection and provision. And all of God's laws and the path that he wants us to walk, that exists to protect us or provide for us or both because he loves us. That's why this is here. So either you will trust God or you won't. That's a decision each one of us has to make. But for those of us who have already made the decision to follow Jesus and we've trusted Jesus with our eternity, we absolutely should be able to trust him with now. So let's walk through these four wise financial habits that Solomon gives us. Let's walk through these together this morning and see what the word of God has to say. There's four habits that Solomon teaches us to practice financially. And the first one is this, honor God first. Honor God first. And this is, this is somewhat of a review from last week. We went into a ton more detail there last week, and I'm not going to go that deep into it this week. So if you missed it, feel free to head to Trilogy.Church and watch last week's message for a deeper dive into this subject here. Um, but we've got to start here because this is really the first principle that Solomon teaches us to honor God first. Why is this important? Because it's true in every area of our lives. We need to honor God first. We need to put God first before anything else. Matthew 6, says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. And the reason we need to put God first is that the other aspects of managing our wealth will flow out of this one. It all flows out of that. We are more likely uh, to follow the Bible's teaching on other aspects if we're willing to submit to his authority and put him in first place. Uh, last week, we looked at these verses on this topic in Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. It's a very similar principle to what we just read in Matthew. So we have Old Testament and New, and both show us that if we honor God first, then he will provide for our needs. 
Now, the key there is he will provide for our needs. Uh, he, will, he will give us what we need and he will bless us. But here at Trilogy, we don't teach prosperity theology when it comes to our finances because the Bible really does not teach that, that if you want more money, you just have to give more. That's what prosperity theology, and there are some uh, preachers out there who teach that kind of theology when it comes to uh, our giving, that if you want more, you have to give more. And then God will return it to you a hundred times and what you gave, it's like some magic trick that happens between you and God. And that isn't biblical teaching on giving. What we believe is generosity theology. And here's what I mean by that. God owns everything. Here's, here's the reality. You're going to die someday. And the fact that you're going to die someday means that everything that you have in your life right now, you don't really have it. It's just on loan to you. It's not yours because you're not going to take it with you. So what you think you own is really just on loan. What you think you own is really just on loan. God is the owner of all things. We're just taking care of it for him. Uh, we are managers. We are stewards. And, and that if we manage things in a way that God wants us to manage it, he will entrust us with more. That's the law of stewardship that we see all throughout the Bible. And it's not just about money. You know, my kids do not belong to me. One of these days, Lord willing, they're all going to grow up and move out of the house. Of course, by that time, I will be 96 years old, but someday it's going to happen and my kids are all going to uh, leave. But here's the reality. My breath is borrowed. Their breath is borrowed. My kids are on loan to me for a time. And when I breathe my last and I stand before the owner of all things, I will give an account for what I did with my children or what I didn't do. Because I'm a steward of the gifts that God has given me and my children are one of those gifts. It's the same with Melissa. Melissa is on loan to me. I don't own her. Although Zion the other day did come up and ask me, can I play on my iPad? Now being the sage parent that I am, I read right through that, and I wondered if he was trying to play one parent against the other. You know, he'd asked mommy, he got the negative response, so now he asks me to see if I'll give him a different response. And so I asked him, what did mommy say? And he responded, well, daddy, you are kind of the boss of her. So the kid really doesn't know how things work, does he? And, and all, of you, all of you husbands listening right now know exactly what I mean. Uh, but it, it is true for Melissa. She's on loan to me. It's true for trilogy. It's true for my friendships and on and on it goes. What we think we really own is just on loan. I am managing. I am stewarding. I'm taking care of that for the one who blessed me with it. And it's our responsibility to manage and take care of those things that he has entrusted to us in the way that the Bible teaches us to go, to be a good manager, to be a good steward. With the resources he has given me, including the money I have at my disposal, will I trust him or will I not trust him? When Melissa and I first got married, I was a youth pastor and I was making not a lot of money. I think we were making somewhere around 35,000 and I'm sure Melissa's gonna correct me later, uh, when we got married and started our lives together. I think it was around 35,000. 
And after taxes and everything, you know, I'm bringing home about $2,400, $2,500 a month. That's what it looked like. And one of the reasons why we didn't have a lot of money, we didn't have a lot of surplus, wasn't just that I didn't make a lot, because you can make that work if you manage it well, you can. But I had a whole lot of dumb debt that I brought into our marriage. Credit card debt, car debt, and, and you don't have to raise your hand right now if you know what I'm talking about, but I know there's some of you out there, just stare really, really intently into the camera, okay? I'll know who you are. I'm among friends, good. So out of the $2,400 or so that I took home each month, way too much had to go to paying credit card companies and automobile companies and, and then a place to live and food and clothing and on and on. But even though we didn't have a lot and I was making up for past mistakes, we made the decision together that we would always give to God first. From the beginning, Melissa and I made that commitment to one another and made that commitment to God. Before bills, before fun, before anything else, we would prioritize giving to God. Well, a short time after we got married, we moved to Arizona, I mean really short, we're talking within a month or two after we got married. Uh, we moved to Arizona to take a new job as youth pastors of a church in Mesa, Arizona. We were in Chicago area, we moved across the country to Mesa, Arizona uh, to take a youth ministry there. So we got there and we parked our rental truck in the church parking lot uh, just for a couple nights. We stayed with the pastor of the church and then we were going to move into our apartment coming up. Well, the night before we were to move into our apartment, the truck was stolen out of the church parking lot. Everything we owned was gone. It's like someone cleans out your entire house, only you loaded it up for them first. Weren't we nice? Uh, we were devastated to say the least. And now we had someone in the church offer us a place to stay and then we just kind of set about the business of rebuilding our lives because everything was gone. So here's the crazy part. The next day after this truck was stolen was Sunday. This is the day when I would typically give. And I'm thinking to myself, how can I give when we just lost everything we had? But we had made a commitment to one another and to give to God to honor him first. We had made a decision to do percentage giving and we had a percentage that we had set. And so based on the income I was making at that church now, we gave. It didn't make any sense, but we gave. Now remember, this is not a magic formula, okay? So don't hear that. And I'm not saying this exact thing will happen to you. In fact, I hope it doesn't because nobody, you know, I don't want anybody to go through that. But this is what happened to us. A family in the church took us out shopping and replaced a huge portion of our wardrobe, just blessed us with a ton of, of clothing. Uh, a news channel got wind of the story, you know, these new pastors move into town and have their, just got married and have their, their lives turned upside down. And so this news team showed up at church uh, and they came to film a news spot and it appeared on the local news in Phoenix. Uh, someone in the community saw that news piece and sent us through the church, sent us a $1,000 check to help us out. The apartment we were going to rent, uh, we said we can't move in, here's why. They totally understood, told us the apartment would be there when we were ready, and told us we could have our first month free. Uh, then, the best part, the police found the van. They found it abandoned in the desert, so we don't know what's happening with the van, what's in it, what's not. Um, but two very specific prayers were answered that day. 
Uh, we had a woman in the church who was a prayer warrior. Uh, and then another woman in the church who was also a prayer warrior, but she was the receptionist and one of the pastor's wives. These two women prayed some very specific prayers and told us. One of the women said, was praying that all the tires would blow out on that vehicle and that they wouldn't be able to get away. Well, when they found the truck, they determined that it had fishtailed and it had run into a guardrail and the, the guardrail had hit the rear axle and just messed it all up and all four tires on the truck had blown out in that moment. So I like to think that an angel kind of gave a little hip check to the truck and sent it into the guardrail. Then there was another prayer request. When they found the truck, the back door uh, to the uh, truck was open. The truck was wide open. Everything in the truck was exactly as we had left it, except my guitar had been taken off the truck and was sitting down behind it. Well, the other lady in the church was praying that if if the thieves touched anything on, the, on that truck, that it would burn their hands. So I like to think that my guitar was too hot to handle and they just abandoned that guitar and they got out of there. And so when we got back and we were finally able to get to our truck and see it, we got everything back. We got some pretty amazing blessings on top of it. And to this day, I am confident it was because we made the decision to honor God first. Regardless of what was happening in our lives, our commitment to him was, a, was just that. It was a commitment. And we've continued doing that to this day, and I have never regretted putting God first in the area of finances and giving to him before anything else. Not once have I regretted that. And God has blessed our family, not just financially, but, as, but he's blessed us as a family, and he's blessed us with his grace and his mercy in our lives. And he's provided for us in so many ways. And at the end of the day, it's not really about money at all. It's about whether or not we're going to trust him. It's about whether God has our heart. And we continue to trust him even when it gets hard. It's just so important. And I believe it for me and for my family. And I believe it for you and for your family. And I know I'm a pastor, so I have to say all this, right? I mean, people would be giving to the church that, that I'm leading, that I'm pastoring. But I said this last week and I'll say it again. If you're not going to give to Trilogy, then give to another church. Give it to a church that's helping, you know, write new stories in people's lives, a church that's leading people to Jesus. But find a church. Feel free to continue to come here, come to Trilogy. Uh, we love you. We want you to be a part of our church family. But if there's some reason that I'm in your way or you've got a trust issue uh, when it comes to this subject here at Trilogy, then just give to another church. Honor God first in some way, it's that important. But figure out a way to give and honor God first. Because if you'll begin to trust God in this area, you'll begin to trust him in other areas of your life as well. And some of you are still wrestling with this piece. I get it. Just pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what to do. And here's the important part, then take a step. Just take a step of obedience. Here's what I want you to see. This, this is a powerful verse in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I want to read that second half again. It is he who gives who? You the ability to produce wealth. Now, according to the Bible, who's producing the, the wealth? You are. God is the source but he gives you and me the ability to produce wealth. So when we talk about trusting God, we're not saying, okay, God, winning lottery ticket, please. You know, just bless me with it. Show me the money, God. 
That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is in the context of your work, in the context of being diligent, in the context of being responsible, you trust God. And so what's happening in your life is you're partnering with God in everything, finances included. So if you're sitting around praying for your ship to come in, stop and swim out to the boat. Take an active role because you have a part to play in it. All through the book of Proverbs, God honors work as a part of life. And so to trust God is not just to sit around and do nothing thing, to just wait for him to do everything. And if you don't have a job right now, by the way, if you're, if you're out of work and you have no income coming in, I'm not expecting you to give. You know, the idea is you honor God first when you get income out of what you produce is what we read earlier. Uh, you get income, then you first acknowledge where it came from and you give to God first. But if you don't have a job right now, here's what God would want you to do. Do everything you can to find one. And I know many of you are. You've lost job. Your job's been furloughed, you know, because of all the craziness going on right now. And you've been, you know, you've been actively looking. Keep doing that. Pray and work and do and put forth your best effort. Here, here's a great prescription for life when it comes to your finances and your career and really any area. Pray as though it all depends on God. And follow through with what he says and work as though it all depends on you. Pray as though it all depends on God. Follow through with what he says and work as though it all depends on you. It's a really powerful combination here. So honor God first. Now here's the second financial habit we're learning from Proverbs today. And that is save and invest money wisely. Save and invest money wisely. So give first save second. Proverbs has a whole lot to say about this subject. I, I spent a decent amount of my life doing stupid things with money. Okay. Uh, and then I got on God's path and I started doing what God says, living the way he says that I should live. And God has blessed Melissa and me and our family. And even though we aren't filthy rich, we have enough. There's power in living the way God prescribes in his word. Listen to this next proverb because Solomon says that how you save is a wisdom test. Look at this next verse so you can figure out whether you're wise, foolish, or simple. Here we go. Proverbs 21, verse 20. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. I'll just pause and let that one settle. Now, I'm not pointing any fingers because I have been there, and this is a discipline Melissa and I are still working on, and that is setting aside for the future. But we all need to look at our habits in light of the wisdom that scripture teaches. Here's some saving statistics from a recent study, okay? In the year this study was taken, the average person from Japan saved 25% of their income. That's the average person. Saved 25% of their income. The average European saved 15% of their income. And the average American spent 1% more than they made. Yikes. I mean, it's not just the government that's irresponsible, is it? <laughs> it's, uh, it's us. As God's people, we need to do better than that, church. We need to be smarter. We need to exercise wisdom in this area. We give first and we save second. We save and invest in the right way. Proverbs 13, 11, listen to this verse. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears, 
wealth from hard work grows over time. I mean, and people say the Bible isn't relevant or practical. Here's about the most practical advice that you could get on saving and investing. And let me give you three ways uh, to protect yourself from get-rich-quick schemes or bad investments. These are all taken from Proverbs, okay? I'm just going to run through these quickly. Uh, the first is this. Here's how to protect yourself. Stick with what you know. Stick with what you know. If the person that's trying to get you to invest, they can't explain it to you in a way you can understand, don't do it. Don't do it. Greed makes us gullible. Uh, so be patient until you understand it. If you don't understand it, you don't want to invest in it. Try to find someone else to explain it. Uh, but don't make the investment till you really, really get it. The word for this in Proverbs is diligent. So if you're reading through Proverbs, you'll see that word diligent or diligence again and again. And the idea here is that you want to do your due diligence. You want to understand what you're doing with your money before you actually do it. And I think too many times we, we take a step and we make an investment we don't really understand, but it just, it sounds really good or we think we trust this person or worked for somebody else, but wait until you really understand it before you take that step. So stick with what you know. The second uh, way to protect yourself is make financial decisions slowly. Make financial decisions slowly. If you feel pressure, that should be a warning sign to you. And this is true anytime we go to buy a vehicle, right? <laughs> We've all felt that kind of pressure. Or watch an infomercial. Buy now, just $19.95 and just for today. In fact, right now, if you call within the next 10 minutes, we will double your order and you just pay shipping. That shipping charge turned out to be $29.95, but that's neither here nor there. But it's only for the next 10 minutes. And then you see the same commercial a week later. Only for the next 10 minutes. If there's pressure going on, take a deep breath and take your time. A good deal now will be a good deal tomorrow. A really good practice is to set a threshold in your spending or your investing. And if you're gonna go over a certain amount on something, walk away and pray before you pull the trigger. Sleep on it, take a day, ask God to give you wisdom but make financial decisions slowly. Third step you can do to protect yourself is to get wise counsel. Get wise counsel. Get more opinions than just yours and the person who's trying to sell you or get you to invest. It's okay to talk to a financial planner. That doesn't mean you're a failure. It means you have wisdom. It's okay to talk to someone who spends their lives doing something that you don't have time to do. And, and let me say this to all the married folk and and. I'm listening right now. If you're uncomfortable talking to your spouse about whatever investment or purchase you're about to make, don't do it. That should be a huge flag right there. If you're hiding it or you're not giving them all the details or you carry around a cash stash in your wallet because it's untraceable money, you know, it doesn't show up on the credit card statement, man, walk away from that purchase. Okay? Uh, it, that have that conversation with your spouse because that's a huge flag that it's probably not wisdom if you're not willing to have that conversation first. But beware, Proverbs tells us, of get-rich-quick schemes. 
Uh, you know what the common denominator of every get rich quick scheme is? That's hard to say fast, by the way. That person's got a secret. They've discovered some loophole around how wealth is built and you've got to do it now. Now, 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 right now. Uh, and if you don't do it right now, you're going to miss out. Uh, Proverbs was written a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. And it's as true today as it was then, because that's what truth is. Truth is timeless. There are no secrets to building wealth. It takes discipline, it takes work, and it takes time. Here's another piece of investment advice from Solomon who also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 11.2. But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. I mean, are you kidding me? Solomon is talking about diversification of your investment portfolio about 3,000 years ago. I mean, you ever heard the expression, don't put all your eggs in one basket? That's right here. That's what Solomon is teaching us. Make sure you're investing in several different kinds of financial streams so that if one goes down, you don't lose everything. It's amazing the practical wisdom we can find in God's word. Okay, so number one was honor God first. Number two was save and invest money wisely. We need to be saving as God's people. It's a biblical principle that he gives us to save for the future. And now number three, plan well and work the plan. Plan well and work the plan. And why do I say both of those? Because having a plan is not enough. There are plenty of times in my life where I have made plans and I've just never followed through. You need to plan well, then you need to work the plan. So how many of you are hoping that you have a better year this year financially than you did last year? Okay, you're hoping that happens? I would assume most of us here are hoping that we have a better year this year than last year. And here's what I want you to understand. Um, hope is not a strategy, church. Hope is not a strategy. It's okay to hope, but you need to have a plan because hope is not a strategy. Here's the question. What is your plan to make this year better than last year? Plan well, then work the plan. Let me show you this verse in Proverbs 21.5. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. I'm telling you, Proverbs is full of great wisdom and advice like this. So you work smart, you work hard. It's not either or, it's both and. You work smart and you work hard. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts, cutting corners, trying to take the easy way out leads to poverty. If you're taking notes, write down this question. What's my plan? What's my plan? Hope is not a strategy. What's my plan? And if you don't know where you are financially, you need to figure that out. Look at this verse in Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. Now, some of you are sitting there, you heard me read the state of your flocks, and you're like, what? Yes, I live in Texas, but I'm not a rancher. Okay, just change flocks to stocks. Okay, that puts it in a modern context for us. Same thought. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. Now, here are the things that you need to know to build and execute a plan. Okay, here's what you need to know. 
You should know, pay attention in these four areas. You ready? You need to know what you own. You need to know what you owe. You need to know what you earn. And you need to know what you're spending and where. Okay, let me say those four again. You need to know what you own, what your resources that you have available to you are. You need to know what you owe, what, what do you have to pay out on a regular basis? What do you earn, what's coming in? And finally, what are you spending? And here's the key, where are you spending it? And you're like, wait, that's knowing the condition of your flocks and herds, those things? Yes, well, they were farmers in that day. I mean, that's what they did. They didn't have a paper currency. That If you had a bunch of goats, you were wealthy. In fact, if you look at when they describe Solomon's riches, when they describe Abraham's wealth, when they describe Job's wealth, they describe it in terms of livestock. So this was wealth. If you had a bunch of goats, you were wealthy. If you had a few goats, you were middle class. If you didn't have any goats, you were poor. That, that was social class structure. So know what you have, know what you owe, know what you earn, and know what you spend and where. Another phrase to describe this concept, here it is. Mind your business. Mind your business. Be about taking care of your business. That's what we're talking about today. Minding your business, which means be thinking about what you're taking in, what's going out. Know what's going on with your money. Uh, and maybe you've heard the statement, money talks. Okay, you've heard the statement, money talks before. Here's the thing, it doesn't, it just walks away quietly. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the truth? Money, money doesn't talk, it just kind of slips away and we have no idea where it went. Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't talk, it just walks away quietly. Look at this verse in Proverbs 23, 5. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. <laughs> I'm telling you, Solomon knew what he was talking about. And, and it's true. In fact, we even have the eagle on every bill we carry, right? I mean, it's, it's ready to fly away at a moment's notice. So here's the idea. Write this word down. It's the word budget. People are scared of this word, okay? But it's not that hard. A budget is this. It's telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. It's the easiest way to define a budget. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. It's pre-spending your money. Before you get your next paycheck, you have already made the decision of where all that money is going to go. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And we as a church, I want Trilogy to come alongside you and help you in this area of minding your business. There's an incredible ministry started by a leader in the financial industry named Dave Ramsey called Financial Peace University. I know some of you have probably already gone through Financial Peace University in the, in the past. It is a nine-week class that puts you on the path to financial freedom. Still requires planning, still requires hard work and discipline, but it gets you. it gives you a strategy to get there. And we want to help you as a church. We want to help you in this area. We believe so much that this will help you that we're going to cover as a church, we're going to cover half of every couple's tuition who wants to go through the class. It costs $130 for the nine-week class, for the materials, and for one year of access to the resources and the tools. So if you and your spouse, or just you if you're single, if you want to go through Financial Peace University, we will pay for $65 of it. It's extremely practical, uh, but incredibly powerful. And if you walk through it and you apply the principles that they teach, 
It will move you forward a long way towards financial freedom and living biblically when it comes to your finances. And if you've never gone through Financial Peace University, I encourage you to go through it. Why do I think it's so important? Because I love and I care about every one of you, and I don't want any of you to live in financial bondage one day longer than you have to. I want you living in financial freedom. It gets you out of debt. It gets couples on the same page. It grows wealth towards the future. It helps you to develop a plan that will leave you telling your money where to go instead of wondering what happened to it. And I just want you to know, there's no silver bullet in this class. It's not gonna teach you, you know, uh, some magical strategy. It's gonna teach you how to do the work that the Bible teaches. It's still going to be work. So don't hear me saying it's going to solve all your problems without you having to do anything. No, we still have to discipline ourselves and make hard choices, but it will help you to do it. And I thought about waiting to start the class until the fall, uh, just till things started to get back to, but I don't want to wait for those who are maybe ready to jump in right now. And so we're going to start it uh, the end of this month. We're going to start this class and then we can run it again in the fall if more people want to do it then. So maybe you can't this summer because you're traveling, you're gonna be gone for a couple weeks, whatever, if that's the case, then wait till the fall. But if you're ready and you wanna jump into this, I want you to get ready and I want you to be a part of Financial Peace University and to go through that. Um, here is a, a, a link that I'm going to, oh, never mind, not a link. I don't have a link. Scratch that from the record. Um, uh, but here's what I want you to know. Uh, if you're interested in this, if you want to go through this, and here's the key, you don't have to be in bad shape financially to go through Financial Peace University. You could be good, but you could be better. So that's the thing. It's not just for people who are, you know, ready to file bankruptcy here. This is for all of us who want to be living biblically in the area of our finances. You could be in a pretty good financial state and go through Financial Peace University. And we want you to do that. So if you are interested, uh, it's open to everyone, regardless of your financial situation. So if you're interested, just send me a note. And here's where I want you to send it, jeff at trilogy.church. That's my email address, it goes right to me, jeff at trilogy.church. Just drop me an email and just say, I wanna take part in Financial Peace University. And I'll get you more information about when we're gonna do it, where we're gonna do it, uh, what it's going to look like, even if you're wanting to do it in the fall, send me that in an email, okay? I want to take part in Financial Peace University. Just drop me that email because I want you to go through this. I want you to experience the blessing of live, living biblically in your finances. And I can't wait to see how God uses it to change the direction of your life in this really, really critical area. So if you've got questions about it, let me know. I'd be glad to answer them. But you want to have a plan in place, and this will help you to do it. And you want to work the plan. So honor God, save wisely, have a plan, work the plan. And finally, number four, commit it all to God. Commit it all to God. You want to put God in charge of all your money. So this year, if you're like, I'm going to give 3% to God this year. You make, made a decision. I'm going to honor God first. I'm going to give 3% to God. Awesome. But here's the thing. Also, trust him with the other 97%, okay? Trust him and manage it the way he says to manage it. Here's an easy way to remember how to live with regard to money. And you guys have heard me probably say this before. Give first, save second, live off the rest. Give first, save second, live off the rest. I mean, does that sound familiar to anybody? Giving first honors God. Saving second builds wealth. And living on the rest teaches us contentment. 
And if you want percentages to shoot for, a lot of people live on the 10-10-80 principle. It's a great way to live this out. Give 10, save 10, live on 80. Give 10, save 10, live on 80. It's a, it's a easy framework, an easy structure uh, to kind of develop how we live our lives, to give, save, and then live off the rest. And if you're like, I'm, I'm crazy in debt, that sounds impossible, then just pick a percentage for giving first and saving second. Okay, pick a percentage. Should I go ahead and save now even though things are really kind of chaotic for me financially? Yes, start saving now. Start investing now because Proverbs is all about getting on the right path. And how you got to where you are is you've not been on God's path. So get on it. It's about getting on the right path. So even if you give God 1%, you save 1% because you're dealing with stuff right now that, that really you've put on yourself or life circumstances have hit you hard. You're getting on the right path and then you can build on that over time. Does that make sense? Commit it all to God. Proverbs 16.3 tells us, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. So commit it to him. Commit what you're doing to the Lord. God wants you to win. This is not about what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. So pray about your finances, pray for wisdom, pray for direction, pray for guidance, and pray for the discipline and the strength to live this out. So let's do that right now as we close today. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to bless us as we move forward in this really, really important area. And I'm just...